paparazzi. If I mention that, what image kind of comes to your mind? Do you picture someone who just takes pictures and places them, you know, in the newspaper for information for people to know? Or do you kind of go with the stereotype and, yep, I see these people in, like, bushes with, like, cameras taking pictures to be able to sell to the highest bidder, and that's what your mind goes to. I wonder what it is. Or maybe if I tell you something different, what if I say the word Oompa Loompa? Like, what picture comes to your mind? Do you jump back to, say, you know, the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and so you've got the orange face, green hair little guy? Do you go to the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Oompa Loompa, which is kind of the red-suited guy that's the same character over and over again? Are you like, I've never seen either of those? And you're like, it's just a funny word. You have no image that comes to your mind when you hear that word. What if I say the word babies? Are you like, oh, they're so precious. They're just little and sweet, and I love holding them and cuddling. you like, they cry, and they poop, and like, I have to take care of them all the time. There's nothing they can do, and like, that's the image that you have just when you hear this word baby. Like, I wonder what comes to your mind. And the thing is, like, there's often things that jump in our mind when we hear certain words. And so even when we're in the Christmas story, and maybe I mentioned the word wise men, like, again, you maybe picture what these individuals look like. Or when Nick talked about the shepherds, again, you have a picture that comes up in your mind. Or even if we were to talk about the innkeeper, and you'd be like, there's no innkeeper actually written in the Bible, but you've imagined him, what he looks like. And maybe he's gruff just saying, there's no room, get out of here, whatever that looks like. Or maybe he's a nice gentleman. I don't know. But like, we have these images of things. So then, if I were to simply say the word prophet, I wonder what image comes to your mind. Like maybe it's someone who's a little bit eccentric, maybe a little bit unique. Maybe they dress a little bit funny or they have like this really long beard or they've got a staff or they're like talking about the future. They're standing on the the street corner just yelling at everyone, whoever will listen. You know, I wonder what kind of image you have when you just hear this word prophet. Well, today I want to talk about the prophets a little bit, understanding who they are, um, you know, where did they live, what did they do. And I'm just going to tell you, to begin with, last week when I was studying this idea of the law, I went to my pictorial encyclopedia of the Bible that I told you about, and the Old Testament law had like 10 pages worth, the New Testament had three um, pages worth. So I went to this section that said prophets or prophecy. So I started turning page after page and counted them up. There were 27 pages on prophets and prophecy. Like, yeah, I'm not reading all that, just being honest. Like, that is like a lot of information. And again, not that it's not important, but today we're doing more of an overview, kind of just a skyline picture of what exactly were these prophets that God used. And so if I were trying to tell you just kind of the basis of what you need to understand is the prophets, the prophets were God's representatives. Like they were his mouthpieces to the people so that people would understand what it was that God wanted them to know. And so they faithfully proclaimed his message, no matter what the outcome was on their life. And so for some of them, they experienced some pretty big loneliness. I mean, think about telling a message that a lot of people don't want to hear. And so it's not like, hey, come over on Friday night. And so there was some loneliness that they experienced. Or some of them, they felt physical persecution, even to the point, some of them, of death. And some of them, if they didn't experience that, you even think about this idea of preaching again and again and again, but having an unreceptive audience. That there's no change in the hearts whatsoever. Can you imagine just what it took, the courage that they held on to going, I'm going to do what God is calling me to do. 
Oftentimes we see prophets in the presence of a king, the idea of being able to influence a nation. So sometimes we see that throughout the Old Testament. There's also kind of three major times that we see God speak through the prophets quite often, okay? And so one of those we'd call the pre-exile. And if you're like, what in the world does that mean? Let, let me explain. There's a time that you see Israel, they break up into two different um, countries, so to speak. After Solomon, you have Israel and Judah. And so the people of Israel are eventually taken captive into Assyria, but the people of um, Judah hang on quite a bit longer, but then eventually they're overtaken by another country called Babylon. But there were certain prophets that went and spoke to the people of Israel saying, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to do. There were certain prophets that went to um, Judah and spoke to them all of that before they were taken captive. And so there were prophets during that time frame that gave God's message. But then there were prophets that spoke to the people while they were in exile, while they were in captivity underneath the Babylonians, there was the message, hey, God is still here and this is what's going to happen. And so some of those prophets would, would be um, tasked with giving a message. And then there's what we call the post-exile. That means once the people have now gone back to Jerusalem, there were prophets there that told the people, this is now what you need to do. We need to build this. You need to act this way. We need to live this way. And so God used prophets in all three of these stations just to be able to tell his message. All right. Now, uh, what you also maybe think of when you hear prophets is, well, I know in the Bible, like there's this division between like the major prophets and the minor prophets, but I have no idea like what causes someone to be a major pro minor prophet. Is it like, hey, your message is more important than minor. You're taller, you're smaller, you know, major, minor. I don't know. What does that mean? Actually, I know this is really deep, but what makes a, a major prophet is their book is a lot bigger. <laughs> like there's a lot more chapters in it than our minor prophets. Like it has really nothing to do with the message. That is the biggest difference between what we just categorize as a major prophet or a minor prophet. It really has to do with the book. However, I will also tell you not every prophet that is written in here has a book named after them. You have people like Elijah and Elisha and Nathan that God used them, but they don't have a book named after them. There's also prophetesses that God uses to speak his message. And so people like Miriam or Deborah or Huldah, like they are mentioned throughout scriptures as, as being people who shared um, God's message with the people. I think it's also important to know that prophets were not like these philosophers and they weren't trained to be able to go and speak. In fact, Amos, he's a shepherd. He's a farmer and God says, I want to use you. And so what you need to know is these prophets who would then speak God's message made sure that they just listened for his insight and then they would go and speak. I will also tell you this, that even though they spoke whatever God told them to, they didn't always understand all the details of the message. Now, how could they tell a message without understanding it all? It's kind of like this. Imagine if my family and I were driving towards, you know, Colorado, and then we begin to see, you know, the Rocky Mountains. And I'm like, hey, look at that mountain, that mountain. And maybe I'm telling my kids different things, and I can tell them the things that you can see. However, from far, from a distance, you can tell about the tops and things like that. But sometimes you can't see that there are miles in between some of those different peaks. And that's what God would do with some of these prophets, that he would give them the mountaintop vision and the information that needed to be passed along. But they didn't know everything that was about it. And so imagine these prophets sharing the message that God had placed on their hearts, but again, not understanding everything. Maybe when you picture the prophets, you think they were these stern preachers and they're preaching doom and gloom, you know, on the corner, so to speak. I will tell you most of them, 
it was not that way. Now, if you read all about Jonah, he was that way. Like Jonah's like, God, you want me to speak to the Ninevites? You want them to repent? Like, I don't want to speak to them because I know they're going to repent and they don't deserve it. Like they are evil. And so that was the way that Jonah was. But man, when you read all the other prophets, like even if they spoke with a confrontational tone, with this is the message that you need to know, it was still based out of love and compassion, that they want the people's hearts to change. They want their lives to change, to be able to experience that which God has for them. And so sometimes today we talk about speaking the truth in love. And that's what they would do is speaking this truth that sometimes is hard to hear, but man, I'm doing it in a loving manner. Sometimes their messages were short statements. Sometimes they were longer messages. Sometimes they would just tell of the vision that God had given to them. Sometimes they used visual illustrations to help make the point. And so one person, um, his name is Ahijah, he, break, he tears up this uh, cloak into 12 different pieces to even show how the kingdoms are going to be divided. Ezekiel, when you read his prophecy, you know, in his, his uh, uh, book, uh, he is tied up at one point with the purpose of making a point. Uh, God actually causes him not to be able to speak for a time frame for the purpose of then now being able to talk. Um, he is told to lay on his side for a certain number of days because that represented the days of the siege that would happen. Uh, Ezekiel is told to cut his hair and put it in three different parts. So you're going to burn this section. You're going to scatter this section. You're going to like hit this section with a knife. And I don't even know what that means, but like this idea of there are three different folds of what's going to happen to the people of Israel. And so there was this visual thing that would help. Jeremiah is told, I want you to take um, this belt and I want you to walk a long way and then bury it over here and then come back. And so he does. And then after quite a while, God says, okay, now I want you to go back and get it again. And so he does. And so this is a visual. He's also using a pot. And when a potter's house at one point, he uses an ox yoke at one point to make his point. So again, things that people could see that this is what God is telling the people. In fact, if you want to talk about visuals, we could talk about Hosea. And God tells Hosea, here, I want you to marry, and you can determine maybe it either means a prostitute or a promiscuous woman, because I want the people to understand that even when they are not faithful to me, I am faithful to them. And so his whole life is a visual of the message of God's love. And it doesn't just stop in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we even read about a guy named Agabus who takes a belt and binds up and tells Paul that, you know what, you are about to be bound up and handed over to the Gentiles. And so these messages come in all sorts of different ways. And when we read about it in our text, some of the prophet books are kind of like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they'll give you a little bit of an autobiography. And then there's a whole lot of God's message in there. Some of the, the, some of the books that you'll read, it's all God's message as far as this is what the people need to know. You have a book like Daniel that out of the 12 chapters, the first six is story. So you understand what is going on and what God is doing. And then the last six chapters are very much here is the prophecy that God is giving to me. And then you have a book like Jonah that is four chapters long. And if you were to read the entire thing, you have one sentence of prophecy. Everything else is his story, but this is the, the prophecy that is in Jonah. 40 days and 40 nights and Nineveh will be overturned. Like that's all you'll see as far as his message to the people. Now it might have been more than that, but that's all we have recorded. And so again, all of these that God has is with the purpose of passing along a message and then in the text for us to be able to understand the message as well. And so if we're talking about the message of prophets, okay, not just who they were, what exactly was their message? Can I tell you, a lot of times when you hear the word prophet, we think about something in the future, okay, something in the future. However, there's uh, someone that I went to college with and he did a study. He said every time the word prophecy 
or prophesy or to prophesy is used every single time throughout scripture, only 17% of the time does it have to do with some kind of prediction in the future. 17% there's a prediction. So if you're not real good at math, let me just tell you, that means 83% of the time, it means that it's something like right now. It's simply a message that God is wanting his people to know. And so sometimes when we think about prophets, we think they are these foretellers, this future, future teller. But a lot of times they're not. They're just what we would call a fourth teller. They're, this is what you need to know from God right now. And often that message was given to a rebellious people. And God desperately wanted something to change. He wanted a response. And so then if you were to read through just the different texts of the prophets and what exactly is this message, sometimes they would tell you about the righteousness of God, of this is who he is. And man, that's important for us to remember because sometimes the moments that I will choose to sin are the moments that I forget how almighty and powerful he is. And maybe I hang on to that forgiveness factor. I'm like, ah, I can do this and he's just going to forgive me. But man, when I'm reminded about who he is and his righteousness, man, my heart comes back to wanting to do what's right. And so sometimes the message of the prophets was just reminding people about the righteousness of God. Sometimes their message was to help them understand what God's plan is. In fact, sometimes we even read that they may know. And so the prophets would come so that you can understand what is about to happen or sometimes even how you play a part in this. And so he would again remind them, you are God's chosen people. And so live this way. So sometimes that's the message that was given by the prophets. But then there's a lot of times that the, um, the prophets, part of their message was simply saying, this is what God desires, or this is what he demands. And here are the consequences if you do it, if you obey, or here's the consequences if you disobey. And so over and over and over again, we see the word repent. We see the, the, the prophet saying, man, Israel or Judah, you need to repent. Come back to God. Your hearts have turned and allowed this other thing to be more important. And God desperately desires you to come back. But then often he didn't just stop there. He would then talk about the blessing. But this is what happens should you choose to follow and how I will come alongside of you and I will bless you in this way and you will feel my hand in this moment. But then it didn't just stop there too. It was even a message of hope. So yes, repentance and blessing, but also hope. And so, man, I will hold on to your hand. I will help you with this. Imagine these people who are in exile and Babylon is over us. Like they're not a godly nation. God, I don't understand what is going on. Yes, I understand. There are some consequences to the choices we made, but why are you using him? And how long are we here? And what's going on? And the hope that God would give them, that there's light at the end of the tunnel, continue to hold on to me and I will guide you through this. So again and again, we see this message that is given to the people. And here's what I would tell you that's really important if we just step back and look at the prophets, because in this moment, when they were there, this invisible God became audible. All of a sudden, I am listening to what God wants me to know. And even more important than simply speaking a message, I understand that he's present. I understand that he's here. I understand that he cares for me. I mean, if God really didn't care for them, then why else would he spend time giving them instructions? Or why else would he give them guidance? 
Why else would he warn them? And sometimes you're like, yeah, but warnings can sometimes be mean. But you realize that warnings are to keep us safe. Hey, so that you don't go off the side of the road, so that you don't run into this, whatever that might be. Warnings are to help protect us. So God is giving these out of this fact that he cares for us. And so this caring God continues to give a message of love, continues to give a message of hope to the people again and again. And then if you're talking about, man, hope that I'm holding on to, the biggest hope that we read of, of the prophets, is about a Messiah. A Messiah that would come and would rescue them. And sometimes we read some of these specific verses about this Messiah during this Christmas season, such as in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old from ancient times. And so again, in this Christmas season, we hear, okay, out of Bethlehem is where this Messiah is going to come. In fact, even when Herod is asked by these wise men, hey, where is he to be bored? You know what? The people who know scripture say, we know it says in Bethlehem, and they're able to point him that direction. Other verses in like uh, Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. So we read about this virgin that will be the one that gives birth to, to this Messiah. And he will be Emmanuel. He will be God with us. Or even in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says, for us, or for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Like this child will come and this is who he will be. We sang all those words in the song right before our communion time. This is the Messiah. In fact, those are not the only prophecies about the Messiah. In fact, just a real quick list. You could also read verses that talk about how he's going to be born of a woman. He will be from the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He will be a descendant of Judah. He will be an heir to David's throne. And that throne will be an eternal throne. He will spend a season of his life in Egypt. Uh, the birthplace, wherever he is born, will experience a massacre of children. He will be preceded by a forerunner. He would be rejected by his own people. He would be declared a son of God. He would be called a king. He would be a Nazarite. He would be a light to the Gentiles. He would speak in parables. He will heal the brokenhearted. He will be a prophet. He will be a priest. He will be praised by little children. He will enter Jerusalem on a donkey. There's all these different prophecies about what the Messiah would be. And again, the Jewish people, they were watching for him. But there was one aspect of prophecy that they missed, that their Messiah would be one who would suffer. And again, I don't know how much of the prophets you read, but if you have your Bibles, will you open up to Isaiah chapter 52? Because this is the one text that I just want to read and let you listen to when God speaks to Isaiah and says, this is what you even need to foretell about this Messiah that will come. And we're starting in chapter 52, verse 13, mostly looking at 53, but again, we need to start there at the end of chapter 52 and just listen to verse after verse that Jesus fulfills, the Messiah that was to come. And so starting in 52, verse 13, it says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. 
His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low, low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes a life, his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Just verse after verse that speaks of the suffering of the Messiah that would be to come and yet so many people missed it. And that's not even the only place that talks about the sufferings. There's other prophecies that say that he would be betrayed and falsely accused he would be spat upon and struck. The money that was used for his betrayal would then be used to buy a potter's field. That he would be pierced in his hands and feet. That the garments that he had would be gambled upon. That his bones would not break. That he would be crucified with criminals. That he would be given vinegar to drink. That he would pray for his enemies. And that he would be pierced in his side. And yet even there, the prophecies don't finish because there are others that still say, but he would resurrect from the dead. He would ascend to heaven. He would be seated at God's right hand and he will return a second time. Here's what I want you to hear is that this Messiah is one that many of the Jews missed. They were looking for what they thought, but they missed. But what's really fantastic is that God didn't just send a Messiah. He didn't just send someone to come and help them. He sent himself. He came. He was present with us. And just like each prophecy that has been fulfilled, so will the future ones. And he will come again. This idea of in every season, 
creation and, the, and uh, the fall and then the law that we looked at. And today, this idea of the prophets, like as you just walk through the Old Testament, in each season, you see that God is present. And in each season, you see that the, he was pointing towards the Savior that was to come. And so if we're just looking even at the message of the prophets today and kind of fast forward to our life, like what could he be saying to you? I'm not sure, but it might fall under one of those three words. First word of repent. Like God may be saying to you, you need to repent. Maybe there are things in your life that that is what you are trying to live for as opposed to allowing God to be the one who's on the throne. He's like, you're not just talking, you mess up here or there, but like your life is going down this path that is not what I desire. And I want you to come back to me. Like maybe part of his message to you in the season of life that you're in right now is that you need to repent. And again, we can talk individually, but sometimes we can even take a step back and look like even as a congregation, you know what? I saw a, a couple memes that people posted about like, if Jesus were here today, I'm sure he would have a letter for our church kind of thing and not just South Rock, but there would be things he would say, South Rock, man, this is what it means to follow after me. The American church, this is what it means to follow after me. And so part of his message to us may be, you need to repent. But part of you, maybe the message doesn't just stop there, but there's the blessing that comes from it. He says, I want you to understand what happens when you choose to follow after me. I want you to experience forgiveness that you cannot experience just by trying to do good on your own. That guilt that you continue to hold, I want to take that from you because you were not made to hold that. That is not your intention. Let me have that. Let me restore our relationship. Feel the blessing of that. Or for some of you, when we're talking about blessing, it's simply, man, as you are walking with him, following as he leads, may you continue to feel his blessing. May you continue to feel the, the benefits of walking in the way of which he has designed. And so part of his message to some of you would just be continue to feel the blessings and walk with me. And for some of you, maybe the message has to do with hope. Hope right now as I'm walking, hope someday of what will come. Because if we're being honest, the season of your life maybe feels pretty dark right now. Like maybe there are just circumstances and you kind of feel like maybe some of those people in exile, like, God, I do not understand why all this is going on. Like, I don't see why they are over me. I'm not sure what is happening. And God is saying, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm not having you walk through this by yourself. I am with you every step of the way. I will give you strength to make it through this. And so what you need to hold on to is the hope. And not just a, well, I hope this happens, but a confidence that allows you to live every day with him. And here's what I tell you, all three of those words, they're still continued to be found in his word. Sometimes when we talk, we're like, man, I want to hear from God. Do you realize he's already said a whole lot that sometimes we don't listen to? There's a timeless message in here that he calls us simply to listen. But I would tell you, don't stop there. Because then I would flip it just for a second. And this message that is intended for us is also intended for everyone else. And maybe he wants to use you to pass that message along to somebody else that no one else really has a great relationship with. That because of where you're at, he can use you so maybe you don't consider yourself a prophet, but hey, you've got the message of God and God wants this message to be shared with other people. And again, you can do it through love. You can do it through action. You can do it through consistency. But maybe there are people that God wants to use you even in this season to help them to understand the hope and the love that he is for them. 
So in this Christmas season, even as we're studying the prophets, realize that the message is still continually true today. And we want to point people towards the only one who fulfills all hope. And that's Jesus. Let me pray. God, I'm thankful for your word. Man, we just covered a whole lot of chapters in the, that are covered in here. But really, just very briefly, I am thankful for words of truth, words of love. God, I am thankful that everything points to you. And God, that you are the one that fulfills all hope. God, you are the one that we can live our life on firmly. And we know what's going to happen. Even if we don't know all the details, we can trust you. So I guess I pray, first of all, that you would help us to trust you in the moments when we don't see what's happening. God, that you do have a plan. Father, I pray that you would help us if there's moments or things in our heart that we need to repent of, that maybe are hard or we're battling that right now. God, may we allow your spirit to be the one that wins out uh, in that battle. God, I'm praying for hearts that maybe still haven't chosen you. God, and they haven't got to experience the forgiveness that you offer. God, I pray that they would be able to, to lay all of that down and walk with you. Father, I pray for us as a congregation. God, help us to live in such a way that people see your message and we're not contrary to what you want to pass along to people and so that they understand life. So in this season of Christmas, as some hearts might be open, God, help us to know when to speak, when to serve, and when to do whatever it is that you're leading us to do. Father, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>